Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. Stories of corruption in politics, religion, and even among God's people are frequent in the news today. We hear such tales on TV and radio and in the newspapers daily. It's easy to be disgusted, even ashamed at what we hear, and we wonder how our society could have fallen to such a low condition. But corruption has longed plagued man's society. The account of the corruption of politics, religion, and even to some degree the Church of God is a major focus of the Bible and especially the book of Acts. How did God's called ones deal with such a discouraging situation? We will see on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Witness Lee, who together with Watchman Nee served the Lord Jesus in the gospel of Christ in mainland China in the 1920s and 30s. Once again, Dick Taylor is with us as we look into the final chapters of the book of Acts. Dick, welcome back. We have another interesting portion today, don't we? We sure do have an interesting portion here. Dick, we will see from the opening word by Witness Lee today that the final chapters of Acts show Paul and how he has categorized all of the peoples of the world by that time into three groups. Say a little bit about these three groups or classifications and how Paul had a difficult time interacting with each of the three during this section of his life. You've got the three groups, which our brother defines as the Jewish religionists, number one, number two, the Roman politicians, and then number three, the situation of the Church of God in Jerusalem, which was mainly defined as weak and compromising. Paul was in the midst of this kind of situation. The Jewish religion was, uh, in a sense, the genuine religion, in the sense that is based on the scriptures. The Jewish religionists had the Holy Bible, the Holy Land, the Holy City, the Holy Temple, the Holy Priesthood, and all the other holy things. But they were missing the Holy One, who is Jesus Christ. So they had all these things. So to touch the Jewish religion or to go back to Judaism once Christ had come was a real offense and even a satanic thing. And then you have the Roman politics, and you have just corruption after corruption, and the higher you went, the worse it was. Then you had the situation in the Church of God in Jerusalem itself, and you see the believers were weak, they were compromising, and our brother uses this word, short of revelation. So the situation was a real perplexing thing and also somewhat almost a trap to Paul. So Paul found himself in a very, very difficult predicament. Well, Dick, I recall hearing Witness Lee say many times that we don't get into the negative things uh, just for the sake of seeing the negative things, but it's oftentimes against the black background that we can most clearly see something white. I think that's the kind of message we have today. We'll have a contrast, some black and some white. Let's join Witness Lee. 
In these few chapters, the picture shows us three kinds of peoples in three kinds of conditions. Number one, the Jewish religionists. Everything in the Jewish religion was typical and was out of the holy scriptures. They have the holy Bible, they have the holy land, and they have the holy city, Jerusalem, and they have the holy temple, and they have the holy priesthood, and they have all the holy things. Yet, look at the picture. What they were doing was absolutely not of God. Whatever they did was thousand percent of the devil. They even made plots. They even set up ambush to kill people. And they even lied. They exercised a lot of hypocrisy. Nothing here is holy. Nothing here is righteous. Nothing here that can be counted for God, by God. The second category, people with a second condition, that is the Roman politicians. Firstly, you see the commander. Then you see Felix. Then you see Festus. Then you see King Agrippa. I tell you, the higher the politicians was, the more rotten they were. Felix took one woman by the name Josila, and she was one who forsook her husband and was living with Felix. And her sister, Bernice, was living with their brother, Agrippa. This is all according to history. The two were brother and sister of the same father, lived together incestuously. Surely Paul knew quite well all these dark things. Paul classified the human beings on this earth into three groups, the Jews, the Greeks, and the Church of God. When Paul was in the custody for those two years, whenever he considered the church in Jerusalem, he got more disappointed. What he saw there? Compromising, weakness. His dear fellow workers, like Peter, John, and this James. This picture is altogether too dark, yet he was right in the center. You just consider how much revelation he has received and has been stored into his being. And he was there seeing all these things. Not only seeing, he was facing the religious people of that hypocritical religion. And all these politicians of this corrupted circle of the Roman government. And then, of course, he was there, he experienced that kind of church life, full of compromising, full of weakness, no revelation there, no light there, 
and no one was bold to stand on the vision they have seen. Dick, this was a very discouraging scene facing the Apostle Paul as he reflected over the condition that existed on the earth at that time. All three categories of people, the religious, the politicians, and even the church people in Jerusalem, were all in some level of corruption. In a sense, we have a similar situation today, Dick, among the religious, among the government, unfortunately, and even among God's people, the Christians. Not that much has changed in 2,000 years, it seems. My answer to your uh, question, Chris, is no, comma, but. (laughs) That's right. The situation is exactly the same. No, on one hand. So it hasn't changed at all. This terrible corruption with religion, politics, and weak and compromising believers, short of revelation. On the other hand, my word but means what? There is a ministry that is non-compromising. And that's why we're so happy to deliver this broadcast to you called the Life Study of the Bible. You find with this ministry, which is just the New Testament ministry, there is no compromising, but bringing us exactly to the apostles' teaching. When we go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. In a brief way, what is the apostles' teaching? It's the entire speaking of God in the New Testament concerning his New Testament economy, the center of which, the content of which, the focus of which is Jesus Christ himself, his person and all that he has accomplished. This ministry is a ministry of God's New Testament economy and is the real continuation of the apostles' teaching. So the situation today, yes, Chris, is exactly like it was then. On the other hand, the Lord has raised up this ministry and even recovered this ministry through our two dear brothers, Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, standing on the shoulders of many through the centuries who did not become weak and who did not compromise. Dick, we're going to go back and take another look at Paul. Paul was commissioned by the Lord, burdened by the Lord. He was headed to Rome. And then this burden, this intense desire took hold in him. He had to go back to Jerusalem. And it's easy to say why. He knew that there was such difficulty there in front of him, but yet he had to go. That's really the focus of this coming section. Let's go back to Witness Lee. In the first five chapters, you could see because of their kind of strong attitude, Peter was put into prison twice by the Sanhedrin. Now, in the first few chapters, because of the strong standing, strong attitude took by Peter and John, and the Jews just persecuted the saints to such an extent that all the believers left. They couldn't stay there. The opposition, the persecution were too fierce, too strong. In chapter 21, when Paul paid his last visit to Jerusalem, James said, brother, look here, tens of thousands, they all stayed there. You know, if Peter, John, and this James in chapter 21 did take such a strong standing and hold 
such a strong attitude as Peter and John did in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, I do believe most of the Jewish believers would be scattered. You know, that scattering, if so, would be considered as their salvation. All these tens of thousand believers who believed in the Lord, yet who were still jealous for the law, their staying there killed them. Not too late, not more than ten years, Titus came. Josephus tells us Titus wiped out the entire Jerusalem and slaughtered all the populations especially their women and children. No doubt, that slaughter included all the Christians. God used one stone to kill two birds. You know, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 22 expressed the madness of God already. He told the Jews the owner of the vineyard would be mad with all these evil vine dressers. And he would send the army. Third, the Lord Jesus predicted that God would send the Roman army to destroy the entire vineyard. And that destruction included the church in Jerusalem. Just because of James' compromising spirit and Peter's weakness, Paul was altogether unhappy about this situation. And he was altogether under a heavy burden to carry out God's New Testament economy. Yet the source there at Jerusalem was so contaminated. And the flow, no doubt, you read all the epistles, Paul had to face all these Judaizers everywhere in Gentile world, in all the Gentile churches. Judaizers were there. The main trouble that damaged the church life in the gentle world was Judaism. The Judaizers. So Paul just couldn't go on. You see, he was forced to go back. He intended to go on to Rome and then to Spain. That was the uttermost part of the earth by then. Yet he couldn't go on. So you could see, you read chapters 18 and 19, his work was not completed yet, yet he purposed to go back to Jerusalem. He has a burden to go back to deal with that source. Dick Witnessley makes a very strong point in our life study today that Paul was compelled to go back to Jerusalem even when his burden from the Lord was to proceed to Rome. But he was forced to go back because of what was flowing out of Jerusalem as the source. It was contaminating and ill-affecting even the Gentile churches. What was this contamination that he was concerned about? For this, it's good to look at chapter 21, verse 20, where the leading brothers in Jerusalem told Paul when he arrived, You observe, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed and all are zealous for the law. This is the situation that he was concerned about. That what was happening was that Christ, who is the center 
content and focus of God's New Testament economy and the focus of the apostles' teaching, of which the early church was continuing steadfastly in, this focus was being replaced by many things. In this case, all the things of the Old Testament were replacing this Christ. This is a shame. There was a return to Judaism with much mixture and much compromise, and God will not tolerate this kind of mixture. So this is what we're facing here, and this is the contamination that he was concerned about. His desire is that the Lord could move as the resurrected and ascended Christ. He could propagate himself purely as life and everything for the producing of many sons of God and many members of his body so he could have a testimony on this earth. He had to go back to this source at Jerusalem and to see what's actually happening. Here's what he saw. He saw this mixture and this compromise. Dick, our final section today is going to uh, really highlight Paul's confinement and imprisonment and maybe what was happening within the apostle during that time that so much affected the course of church history to come. So let's join Witness Lee for this final section. This man, Paul, was more than burdened and saturated with God's New Testament economy. And what is God's New Testament economy? That is to propagate the process child God who has consummated in this person the all-inclusive resurrected Christ. Only this propagation of this resurrected Christ is the real answer to such a poor situation on this earth. This should be the very kind of consideration within Paul in those two years. When he was brought to Rome and got into his tranquil prison, he began to write those letters. After these two years, he wrote his last eight epistles. And his last eight epistles show us a clearer view how to carry out God's New Testament economy. This was his struggle after he presented such a clear view by completing his writings of the divine revelation just after a quarter century, up to AD 90, revelation was written. In the seven epistles of Revelation, we all can see the very churches which were established mainly by Paul. The accomplishment of God's New Testament economy by propagating the resurrection of Christ all got degraded. And the degradation was just the losing of this Christ. And the degradation was just to take in all kinds of replacement of Christ. You have to realize since the time the revolution was written up to the present time, over 19 centuries already, this struggling has been going on. A struggling between God and his enemy Satan. 
Satan has been struggling to replace Christ. We cannot deny that the Lord has shown us what was on Paul's heart. Paul was for a full revelation of God's New Testament economy. And you all know, I've been spending 22 years time in the U.S. to speak on nothing else but this one thing. Telling you how God wants to accomplish such economy made by himself. That is to go through all the processes. The incarnation, human living, death, resurrection, and ascension to propagate himself into all his children people, that all might be made his sons and Christ's members. And this could be a corporate body to express him in this age as local churches and in coming years in eternity as the very new Jerusalem. Saints, we all need to see this. This was what Paul saw, and this was on his heart. Dick, during and following Paul's two-year confinement, he writes his last eight epistles, which really contain the highest revelation of God's economy and purpose. But it's clear by the time that the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, especially in those seven letters in chapters two and three, that the all-sufficient, all-inclusive, an all-surpassing Christ that Paul presented in his epistles had been usurped among God's people by all kinds of other things. What about today, Dick? How has Christ in God's New Testament economy been replaced among God's people today? The same way as in that day, Chris. I'm reminded of John 5:39 and 40. At that point in time, the religious leaders had the Old Testament— But the entire Old Testament was a testimony of Jesus Christ. Like in 39 and 40 of John 5, he says, You search the scriptures, because in them you think you have eternal life. And it is these scriptures that testify concerning me. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. Today, the same thing is happening. We may have the Bible. We may have many practices. We may have many things that are related to Christ but they are not Christ himself. We must be those who come to him that we might have life. And then I'm also reminded in Matthew 17, Chris, about the Lord being transfigured and appearing with him is Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. And then as Peter tried to put them on the same level as Jesus, God the Father was deeply offended, came in, and darkened the whole situation and spoke. Everyone fell down, and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I delight. Hear him. God's point was, nothing should replace Christ. Nothing. And here you can see what they were trying to use to replace Christ was even the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the entire law. Don't go back to the letter. And then all the prophets, what did they speak about? They only spoke about Christ. Why go back to the prophets and honor the prophets? We must honor Christ. 
This is an offense to God. So the same thing is happening today. It's very easy just by emphasizing the law, how to be a good wife and a husband and this and that. Eventually, you just miss Christ. But I tell you, if you're a caller on the name of the Lord and one who enjoys Christ, you won't miss any of those. He will become everything to you. It's thinking of also Luke 24, where it makes it very clear, after the Lord was resurrected, the disciples did not know what was going on, but it said, then he opened to them all the things in the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, concerning himself. It was very easy then, and it's very easy today, to even have the Bible and to miss Christ. Nothing should replace our dear Lord Jesus. So even many sermons, sorry to say, Chris, are focused on politics, on religion, on ethics, missing the focus of God's economy. That is the all-inclusive solution to all the problems, Jesus Christ, the one who is both God and man, whose redemptive work is tremendously effective, and who's the resurrected one and wants to propagate himself into us to be our life and our everything for our full enjoyment. So we don't want anything to replace Christ. You know, I heard not long ago that some Christian group, they dismissed their meeting early so they could go watch the football game. What is this? This is a shame to the Lord. This is a replacement of Christ. That doesn't mean I don't like football. I like football. I played. But to dismiss a meeting to see football, this is Christ being replaced. May we all, hearing this wonderful word, be very much reminded that we have one focus, one center, one content, and that is Jesus Christ himself, whom we love with all our heart. And we would be jealous, along with the Lord, that nothing and no one would replace him. I had to think back when you were talking about that passage in Matthew 17, where they were together with the Lord on the Mount and Elijah and Moses and that whole sequence. The way that concludes is quite marvelous. Let me finish today just by reading this one verse. Of course, they fell on their face when God spoke those words that you quoted, and then the Lord touched them. And when they lifted up their eyes, this is verse 8, it says they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Amen. May this be the result of our ministry, that we can bring people to that point where they just see no one except Jesus Christ alone. To that we say, hallelujah. Wonderful fellowship again, Dick. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Good to be with you. We've enjoyed very much being with you today on the life study of the Book of Acts with Witness Lee. Before we go, let me remind you that this life study message in its entirety is included in volume number four of the life study of Acts. Please contact us at our toll-free number, which is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. And we would love to hear your comments, your questions. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. Brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. 
That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.